You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creatives Prevail. I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is country artist L. Sloan. In this interview, we deep dive into preparing for gigs, both solo and as a band, as well as covers and original performances. We also get into recording original music, including her solo EDM project. Let's get into it. Hey, Elle, how are you? Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. Good. I'm glad that you're on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. In fact, we've known each other now for uh, quite, a, you know, actually quite a long time now. Uh, I would say at least a, a year or so. And we we, we kind of uh, be in the same circles, if you will, of people. And one, of course, is a mutual friend of ours, uh, John. So John Curtis Sanchez, who has been on the podcast before and a little sneak peek, we may have him back soon. So which I'm very, very excited about. But uh, shout out to John for getting us connected, of course. And John is, of course, a part of your band. And uh, so, yeah, I always like to talk about, uh, if I can, in the beginning about how we met. And here we are right now. Love it. So, L, you've been playing for quite a long time now, professionally, uh, as a musician. So let's start at the very, very beginning. And can you talk about how you got into music in the beginning? Yeah, totally. So... I've actually, I've always known that I wanted to be a musician. When I was three years old, I was in the car with my mom and I told her when I grew up, I wanted to be a singer. And she looked at me like I was crazy because no one in my family sings. And she was like, okay, sure, Elle. (laughs) But I kept bugging her and then I started bugging my dad too. And then when I was five, they found a studio called Voices and they put me in a musical theater class and I was the youngest one in my class and all the other kids could read already and I couldn't. So I would sit on my teacher's lap, Miss Wendy, and she would sing all the music to me. And then I've just pretty much been ear trained from that experience from there out. And then when I was seven, I started taking private lessons and then I still take private lessons. And I started gigging when I was around 14. And so, yeah, now I'm 21. Wow. So quite a long time. And it's I'm glad that you mentioned about private lessons. So you still find that private lessons, even all this time since you were, you know, seven years old, that they are still beneficial to you. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I'm always still growing and learning as a performer and an artist, and I don't see myself ever stopping taking lessons. Do you take lessons specifically for vocals or for other instruments as well? Specifically for vocals, yes. Excellent, excellent. And uh, even when you were younger, did you take uh, lessons with any other instruments or was it always vocals? Yeah, I did a few lessons for piano when I was younger and then I was not too interested. But when I was in middle school, I taught myself how to play chords and then I can just play chords and accompany myself if I need to on piano. So you mentioned that you started gigging when you're 14 years old. So Can you talk about how you got your first gig to begin with at that age? Yeah. So I think my first gig was at Desert Ridge Marketplace, I want to say, on a small stage. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, it was so long ago. So I think that was my first gig. 
Wow. So uh, for context, Desert Ridge Marketplace is a wonderful shopping center that's here in Phoenix, Arizona, and they put on a lot of local artists onto that stage, both uh, that one as well as Tempe Marketplace, uh, too. They both uh, do a lot in supporting the local music community. So very appreciative of that fact, but also giving beginners like yourself a chance to not only be on stage, but actually get paid for your performance. Yes, absolutely. No, it, it, it's great. It's a great organization. So can you talk more about then even after when you're, you know, after your first gig at 14, how were you acquiring these gigs? Were you, how were you finding the contacts and how are you getting people to know that you're available as a professional performer? Totally. So I feel like every opportunity can lead to another. So just for years, I was building my resume, playing at any restaurant I could, any local any like little bar, anything that I could get a chance to play at, I would play. And I did that throughout high school too. And then along with, I've done a lot of national anthems as well. And I feel like those have really helped get getting opportunities as well. And just, I would feel like building your resume as much as possible is really what helps you out. So were you, Finding the contact for, for example, the national anthem, were you finding the right contact to reach out to and then submitting a video of your performance? Like, how does that process? Yeah. Work? So that process to the state, it's but so my first national anthem I actually did for the Chicago Cubs when I was in fifth grade at the spring training game. And I don't know how to this day, still don't know how, but they somehow got a hold of my dad. And then from there on out, I've been singing the national anthem. For them since I was in fifth grade. It's been a really long time. That's a very, very long time. You know, I'm very curious like how they they have it they found you. Do you do other national anthems as well? Yeah, I've done um I've done different political events and I've done a cup I've done a the Phoenix Marathon. I've done um a couple different sports games for ASU. I did a Utah Jazz NBA game and for the Utah Jazz, I did submit a video gotcha. for that. So a lot of national anthems is submitting videos or auditioning to get that opportunity. Now, you don't have to necessarily give away the secret sauce, but how did you find those people to begin with? Is that is there, you know, is a specific role that you need to reach out to for those uh, for those teams that make those selections? Or is it some uh, a, a site that says, oh, we're looking for you know, vocalists for national anthems for these teams? Yeah. So for like the Utah Jazz, I'm pretty sure I just looked up like Utah Jazz national anthems and then it led me to where I needed to go. <laughs> and then I created a video and submitted and I got chosen, which was great. And um, I, the same thing for the Suns, the Suns do in-person auditions and I think they do uh, over online auditions as well. I haven't sang for the Suns, but hopefully sometime I could. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> hopefully somebody knows somebody who works at the Suns is listening to this right now. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, please. I'd love to. <laughs> hey, you never, never know, right? You never know. <laughs> so besides the national anthems for the bars, especially when you're in high school, did you, yeah. did you just reach out to like find the contact information to these bars and say, Hey, I'm open for performing or how did that work. Yeah. 
So for every gig to this day, still, I will kind of look up online restaurants that do live music or bars that do live music. And then I call over the phone and I ask if um, there's a manager I can speak to. And sometimes you get connected and sometimes not. But if I do, I tell them I'm a musician and I have a band, like now I have a band. So if I'm trying to do a band gig, I'll say, hey, I'm Elle Sloan. I've got a country band. We'd love to play at your venue. And then I kind of go about it from there. So the negotiation process, because I know that's a big one, right? It's that I've heard this so many times from artists is that they have no idea how to actually price themselves for their performances. Mm -hmm. And they are concerned that they don't want to chart ask for too much because then they might uh, be passed over and go to somebody else but the same token of course you want to make sure that you're getting compensated well for your performance and there's a, of course a bigger difference from you starting off as a professional performer to having years of experience behind you and then we'll get into what it's like to to actually have a band a band behind you as well so how did you work that out was it whatever they were offering and if it felt that was the right amount did you tell them how much you're you know what you charge for a performance and you have different lists of of length of time of performance how did that work so for all of the gigs that I was doing in high school I would kind of just base it off of what I've been paid in the past so I'd be like hey blah 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 paid me x and then kind of go from there. But I was never particular about a certain amount for getting paid. And I still, I mean, it's kind of bad to say, but I I don't not value what I have to put out, but I never want to put take down an opportunity. And I try to and take every opportunity I can, even if I'm maybe making 50 bucks. True. But I'll also say too, without, uh, again, without giving too much away here, it's like, I, you know, being in the band is a very different story. That's and, a completely different story. Yeah, yes. That's a, that's a very <laughs> different story in comparison to uh, performing solo. And I know, of course, too, that it does depend upon the circumstances, right? So, you know, sometimes you just want to do the gig because maybe you need some practice or maybe you just really believe in what you know what you're performing for maybe it's a specific type of an event uh for example or maybe you know maybe you're just like hey I've seen a little bit of extra cash so sure why not instead of rehearsing and like practicing at home i'll just go ahead and just uh you know go out there and maybe test my new original material out right exactly yeah absolutely and definitely that i would say if you are in a band, pricing yourself is definitely completely different because it's not just you that you're having to pay out anymore. It's There's multiple members involved. So that is definitely where we've gotten to a point where we do have like a price that we feel like we are worth. And that's kind of what it is like by hour. And also... It, it not only pays all band members, but also pays the expenses, right? Because you have gas expenses. There's, you know, gear to worry about. There's all overhead as a, you know, as a band that you have to take care of. So you want to essentially price yourself accordingly so that not, not only are exen uh, overall expenses paid for, for the band to be, to function as a band, but then on top of that, that everybody gets something out of it too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I definitely say like, if you are in a band, definitely. I mean, when we started out, though, when we were first playing, we 
it took us time though. It took us multiple gigs and experiences to be able to get to the point where we are at now to be able to charge a certain amount hourly. But I feel like once you have that experience under your belt and you're able to, then it's totally fair game to charge what you feel like is worth. And they, and it's not like we're the only people doing it. There's so many bands out there and I hear some of their prices they charge for a couple hours and I'm like, <laughs> 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 it's all about Ooh. perception right it's like if they feel like if they feel like you're worth it that's what they're going to be paying for and it's it's amazing to that we sometimes undervalue ourselves because we just think that this is what we're actually worth but but others perceive us as being worth far more so right. I, I tell i tell uh uh friends of mine all the time sometimes that when they are undercharging and i'm tell, telling them like you can charge a lot more for the work that you're doing so it, it is a really hard thing it really is a hard to to find that that balance where you are paying for what your perceived worth is and having that confidence behind you for asking that particular amount but like you said you've been you as a band specifically not even just you as a solo artist but as a band have been doing a number of gigs before getting to the point that you are now ballpark how many years or gigs would you say have has a band done before getting to this point so uh, we've been together, I'd say about a year and a half now as a band. And, oh, geez, I don't even know how many gigs we've done. <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> I mean, were you, because uh, were you playing like gigging weekly, monthly, biweekly? Um, at first it was like cup, every couple months. And then we started gigging more monthly and weekly. Right. So it's when you get to that weekly point where you're now gigging a lot. And then at that point, you're you're putting in essentially those reps in. And now that you have that accolade behind the band, but not only that, too, but you're also building your reputation from gigging so much. Exactly. So now also to put into context, I want to emphasize that this is specifically for cover gigs, right? Correct. Yes, this is for cover gigs. Okay. Yeah, because that's a, it's a very different story when you're talking about your own original <laughs> music, because that sometimes is a lot more challenging to especially get paid opportunities up front. Like most, you know, a lot of times the type of gigs that are paid, you know, uh, some sort of guarantee, like a, a certain specific amount, usually they're looking for covers for, you know, events like uh, weddings, corporate gigs, yes. uh, sometimes out, you know, outdoor music for uh, certain types of venues, restaurants, like you said, bars and clubs, things like that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different ballpark. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit more about doing uh, original music, because you, under the same umbrella as El Sloan Band, you do both your cover performance as well as your original performance. Yes, yes. So right now we've been working on getting as many original songs as we can ready. And we've recorded a couple and we're going to record a few more. And then we're planning on releasing a couple singles and then a full EP, which is super exciting. So you've also done a number of original performances and I've been honored to be, to witness a bunch of them, which are by the way, so much fun. Like I am not necessarily a country fan by any means. I love all kinds of music. I'll put it that way. I'm all I love all kinds of music, but country is definitely probably lower on my list. It's just yeah. like with me as much. 
I mean, I, I was brought up with, you know, alternative rock music, like Jimmy Eat World, Linkin Park. Like, that's my jam. Sometimes I'll get into like EDM kind of stuff to um, here and there and so forth. But like rock, alternative rock, that kind of stuff. That's usually where my world is. So country is definitely a very different world from that. But I got to say, I had so much fun seeing guys perform uh with country music i was jamming out probably just as much as i would at a rock show it was just it was just upbeat and energetic and and that is not just for me too i've heard other people who've seen your band perform say the exact same thing and saying i am not into country music but man i was enjoying that from start to finish (laughs) thank you so much that means a lot and you know that's the goal right that is the goal and definitely country is one of those genres that you either love it or you're not a fan. There's not really a huge in between. So that is so kind of you to say that. Thank you. Can you talk more about how you prepare for these performances, both the covers and the original performances? Oh, yeah, totally. The biggest part is the hours of practice hours it's a it's a lot of work any gig you're doing original music or cover it's a lot of work and you want to make sure that you have every song you've got the form down you've got your lyrics all good to go there's a lot that goes into it and the I would say my biggest thing is just practicing a ton how often does the band practice every week every week how long are the uh, practices it it can go from two hours to four hours you never (laughs) it can it totally varies honestly do you keep up the same number of uh, rehearsals leading up to a show in comparison to when you don't have many gigs going on or does it vary based upon if you have a gig or not pretty I'd say it varies based upon if we have a gig or not do the band members practice outside of the rehearsal time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone practices separately from each other. Okay. Uh, is there any kind of... Is there any, like, set rules, I, I say, where, uh, where every, you know, do you have a set that agreement that every band member has to come prepared when they come into the rehearsal space? Like, is there an agreement that everyone abides to as part of the band to make sure that they're all prepared for not only the rehearsals, but also the performance itself? Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're all professionals and we know that we need to come to practice ready to roll and there's no time for shenanigans. <laughs> Do you lay down the law at all with any of them or do they usually uh, behave themselves and come prepared? You know, I feel like for the most part, we're it's good, but. <laughs> <laughs> I know most of the members of the band, so I'm sorry to call you guys out, but I, I think it's important to know that because you know as well as I do. And, and fortunately, I do know the members of the band and they're all amazing, amazing people and super professional and extremely nice. And. But sometimes it's very hard to keep that discipline, right? Uh, to yeah. making sure that everyone comes to rehearsal on time, making sure that they are prepared for whatever material is going, going to be covered for rehearsal. And same thing true with the performance itself. I know that bands sometimes have a struggle with that with some of their band members where they might show up late or they are not, they didn't practice enough on the side and so forth. And that can be very challenging. And then how to to communicate that properly with your band members because it is a collaborative project so 
how were you able to overcome that with your bandmates where everyone is coming to rehearsals fully prepared ready to go and is doing the same thing for these performances yeah so i i would say definitely if for example if we have a new gig and we are playing new songs ahead of time i'll figure out what song the key need, what key the song needs to be in if the key needs to be changed and i'll send all of that out and so after that is kind of expected like here i've given you the key learn it in this key so that we come to practice and start performing it and you know some there's plenty of times where it's not perfect, you know, but we just kind of work through that. So we talked about how to make sure that everyone's prepared as a band when it comes to rehearsals, performances, but of course it's very different when you are just by yourself. So are there any differences that you go through for preparing for a gig on your own? Yes. So if I'm preparing for a gig on my own, I mean, it's just me that I need to worry about. So it's up to me to make sure that I practice and make my set list and am all ready to roll. And then when I'm preparing for a band gig, it's making sure that all my members have every piece of information that they need to be successful. So let's talk about more of your original music because you have done a number of original uh, recordings correct how many have recordings have you uh released so far i i had two but then i took them both down <laughs> because i feel like my music direction has gone in a completely different way so i decided to take those down yeah so that i'm glad that you brought that up because you know some feel like there's some different minds of thought on that, right? Is that, do you keep that music up for legacy sake and showing gears some, you know, this is the growth that I've experienced as an artist. If it's a completely different direction, do you come up with a brand new name for the project? Then you keep your original, you know, the previous material under the original name. So what made you decide that you just want to take down the, those recordings and then keep the name of the band? Yeah. So those old recordings, I was, couple years ago and it was very I like to call bubblegum pop and it's just I'm I don't do that type of music anymore so I was like let's just take it down and I it was some it was there are songs that I I don't know I wasn't like proud of them and I felt like I'm just kind of a completely different person and musician than I was from when those recordings were done so I just felt best to take them down and to kind of have a rebranding and then now I'm completely into the country Americana world doing some EDM too wait 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 so okay so EDM as well like that's yes that's like the <laughs> which is like, end of the spectrum which is it's so funny because it's the complete opposite of country music and honestly I never thought that I'd be getting into doing EDM music I'm still kind of shocked about it and that's a that is a separate project though, right? That that's is a, yes, that's sep that is separate. That's just a solo project of mine. That's awesome. So and it sounds like that. Um, so you know, what made you decide to get into to EDM? <laughs> yeah. So I collaborated with all the EDM I've been working on. I collaborated with uh, other artists named Robbie Rawson and 
we were, I just was kind of gave it a shot. I was like, you know what? I guess I'll try it out. Never hurts. So we wrote a song together and I recorded it. I recorded my vocals over Zoom, actually, as he's located in New York. Wow. So that was kind of cool. And then um, from there, he pitched it to a producer named Kill X, who's located in Poland, very far. <laughs> and he really liked the song. And then he did all the production with it. With, and then from there, it got pitched to a label called Hot Vibes. And they liked the song and they signed it. Wow. That's incredible. Thank that's, you so much. Have you, so have you found that doing this project has helped you in any way with your country project? I definitely think yes, yes. And I think it will help in the future as well, for sure. Interesting. Cause I mean, when you are taking your experience from different genres, because not only from a musical standpoint is is learning different aspects that you can incorporate into other genres. But even how the genre works from an industry standpoint can be fundamentally different. Oh, so, yeah. You know, the the industry, as far as country is concerned, or even rock, is very different in comparison to, let's say, you know, EDM or, or hip-hop rap and things like that, too. Like, you know, and each one of those uh, have are, are very, very different. It's amazing because I will learn about these other genres and how that part of the industry works and sometimes i'll try to incorporate it into other genres because i realize oh that's actually a really cool thing or that's a really interesting way of doing things and seeing if that can actually apply to what we're doing over here totally yeah like the, the country and edm industry are completely different but i would say having experience writing more country it i you know, when I when you write music, I don't feel like you necessarily you write it and it's like, oh, yeah, this is a country song or this is an EDM song. Honestly, I feel like any song could be any genre. And I just wrote it and I wasn't thinking about this has got to be an EDM song. But I will say when I recorded my vocals, I had to record completely differently than how I'm used to singing because they you don't want that twanginess in the, the EDM songs. So just the shaping of my vowels and everything was completely different. And honestly, I remember recording and I was getting so frustrated. <laughs> and Robbie, bless his soul, he was kept telling me different like little things to do. And he was being very patient with me. And I was I was getting quite frustrated <laughs> when I was recording. Did you find it challenging to then uh, shift back? Because I know that you've been recording for El Sloan Band as well. So have you found it challenging to switch your vocals between doing that project and then going back to country? Not really, honestly. I feel like country, just my voice naturally is more countryer. So it's definitely easier for me when I am recording country music versus EDM music. But I've figured out what I kind of need to do and shaping of my vowels and just different placements in my voice to get that EDM sound. And so now I'm definitely a lot more comfortable recording that type of music. And I feel like it's not as hard, but at first, yeah. <laughs> <Tough>. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I cannot wait to hear the new music coming from, you know, both actually for both projects, to be perfectly honest, but definitely from El Salon Band. I can't wait to hear what you have in the works. And because I know you're in the middle of 
rebranding everything in these new recordings. So I'm pretty sure we'll have to get you back on the podcast after afterwards and uh, talk about the, the progress of the band since then. So we can start wrapping things up here. So I do have a couple of fun questions I always like to ask. So the first question I have for you is what was the first concert that you ever went to? The Wiggles. The Wiggles? No way. (laughs) So, okay. Moira, who's uh, the wonderful post-production for this podcast, (laughs) loves the Wiggles. So (laughs) I cannot wait to tell them about (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, that I, honestly, I don't know. Like I've heard so many great responses to this question. That might be the tops. That, <laughs> might, that might be the top one. Uh, okay. What is your go-to song to sing in the car? Ooh, I feel like it changes every week. <laughs> and I, I love all sorts of genres. Right now it's Nobody Gets Me by SZA. Nice. Very cool. So if you were only able to give one piece of advice to a fellow musician, what would that one piece of advice be? Don't give up. And you really never give up. There's You're going to get hate, but don't let that hate get to you. I, I like to use that hate and kind of as... Uh, ammunition and i'm like just you can't let it get to you because it who cares at the end of the day it's like just let them be haters and you keep doing your thing and use that and as um kind of a way to prove them wrong yeah i agree i think that you know you you gotta love you gotta love doing this despite what anybody else says or you know i i've i've said this before is that i've been in the music industry now oh gosh for well over 18 years now and i can say this is that we don't have a crystal ball we can't tell you what your future is going to be like and what's going to work and what not work for you we're going based upon our own personal experience you know of what we've seen has worked in the past that might work for you in the future and i always like to say that i'd rather be a guide and saying hey these are things to look out for. These are the things that may that have worked before. They may or may not work now, but these are some things that have worked in the past. And these are things that we can try now and see what, what works and what doesn't work. And there's some things that are certainly tried and true, but there are a lot of things that are just unknown. And you know, like you said, don't don't get yourself wrapped up in the hate, you know, especially if you're just starting out. You whether you know you're uh, I was li- listening to this recently on some podcast about, you know, your first, you know, your first song is probably going to be terrible. The, your first podcast episode is probably going to be terrible. You know, the first post that you make on TikTok is probably going to be terrible. <laughs> you know, it's, it takes time to get good at these things. And, you know, so, you know, like you said, like, you can't let those things get to you of when people criticize you for the work that you're doing. If you love doing it, if you love the journey, if you love the process, you know, that's, that's what matters most at the end. Exactly. Exactly. That's the number one is the most important. You, and you said it perfectly. You got to love it. It's a really tough industry and I'm still trying to navigate it and figure out what I'm doing, but there's nothing else that I want to do with my life. There's no backup plan. 
just scary, but it's the truth. And I, I love it. And I know you love it too. I do. Like even to this day, I'm still learning. I'm still constantly learning about this industry. It's, it's a never ending process. Oh yeah. Ending process. Well, thank you so, so much, L, for being on the show. I do really appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely put some links in our show notes for Elsalom Band, but I uh, cannot wait to uh, to hear what's to come. Thank you so much. This has been so cool. This is my first podcast. You did a great so job. Thank you so, so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.